Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Every week, it's my goal to share a story of somebody's journey through their life and financial vineyard. We take you from their roots to their journey of their vines and the influences in the air and how it's helped shape their delicious lives. Like wine, life and finances have different palettes that should be celebrated and not judged. Today's guest is Jill Vitale Awesome. Yep, that's awesome. She actually jokes that she married her husband to just get that last name. Jill has an amazing background in senior living. And as you know, that can be a very costly event in people's lives. We talk though about disrupting the idea of what senior living is. And as you'll hear when she digs in, it should be more about what people's interests are, not what the facilities are. So sit on back, grab your favorite beverage, and enjoy the show. Jill, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being a part of our podcast. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Amy. I'm thrilled to be with you today. Well, as you know, I love to always open the show with my favorite question. It is a Friday and I'm already starting to think about what might happen at five o'clock. So what would you say is your favorite wine? Well, I have very much been into Malbecs lately. Um, and I, yeah, I, I just really like, I like trying different types though, too. And kind of going into a liquor store, it's almost like kind of like being at a bookstore. And, and I love looking at the labels. And sometimes I pick wines just for the label. And I know wine experts would say that's crazy. But for me, it's part of the experience. <laughs> you know what? I'm so glad to hear somebody else does that because um, in New York, we have a uh, GCP. You might be familiar with it. And I will go in with a very open mind and just look at the labels, read a little bit about what the notes are behind the wine. And I might pick something that's completely out of characteristic just for that journey. And I'll tell you, Malbec's was one of those that I got started on just because of that random pick. Uh-huh. And I, there, that is one of my favorite wines. Um, I just had one out of Texas, Lubbock's, Texas area, Buckley Vineyards. Um, they have a Malbec. And you wouldn't think a wine out of Texas would be 
you know, a Malbec, Texas wine. (laughs) But it was incredible. So I was so fortunate to have the woman on the podcast that is co-owner of that winery. So I thought, oh, I'll try it. I was like, oh my gosh. And the good thing is they can ship to Florida. So that's great. (laughs) Get that wine year round. But even down here, ABC has like ABC and Total Wine. I agree. It's part of the journey to just we don't, you know, wine doesn't have to be complex. You right. know, picking it. it can be fun. Like, Hey, that's a pretty label. Let's give it a try. I love that. You're, you're thinking like that. So it's not, it's nice to know that I'm not the only one that picks sometimes based on the pretty label. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I will uh, maybe put that one on the top shelf tonight as I'm uh, winding out for the day. Now that you've said that my mouth is starting to water. <laughs> I would love, I'm really excited to get into our conversation today. Uh, Your sister was kind enough to make the introduction to you and I. And when I started reading your book, which is called Disrupting the Status Quo of Senior Living, A Mind Shift, I couldn't agree more with the fact that, you know, you should be on the show if you were willing to do so, because I do think that... um, I do think that there are there's a lot of misconceptions, both for people that are turning 65 or older or 55, like my husband, opportunity to rub that in. And, you know, it's it's great to have a conversation around um, not following the trend. Right. And that's the whole idea behind this website to be or this uh, podcast, to be honest with you, is that we shouldn't judge anything and we should find our own path and that we shouldn't we shouldn't always follow the, the way that we're supposed to do things. Right. So I love, I love that you wrote this book and I I really want to hear your journey to this creation. And as I always say, the vineyard um, that was formed as a result of your work, how you got into the work, how, and then ultimately how this book was formed. So if you could kind of take us back just a little bit and share share a little bit about who you are, um, how you found, you know, your, your area of expertise and how this book came to, to fruition. Sure. Sure. Uh, so my very first job in, in this field, um, was back when I was in high school. Um, and I was a, what we used to call a dietary aide in a nursing home. And this was back in the 1980s. And, you know, it wasn't a terrible place according to the standards of the 1980s, but it was not, um, it wasn't, it was the kind of place, you know, if you remember going into nursing homes when you were a kid, maybe, and, you know, you would go and sing Christmas carols or whatever it was. And it, it, like so many people, you'd end up really sad and terrified, right? Because, you see residents slumped over in their wheelchairs and it's kind of this really cold, sterile place that nobody wants to be. And that, that was my first experience was working in a kitchen of a nursing home like that. And, you know, I would like to say, oh gosh, I was this teenager that wanted to change the world and make things better. Um, Unfortunately, I was not that teenager. I was just thought, oh my gosh, this is horrible. I don't want to be a part of this, Um, but I have been called back to this field time and time again. Um, You know, after college, I worked in fundraising for actually a retirement community in Horseheads, New York. Um, And 
then I went back to grad school and, and again, still didn't get that maybe this was where I was supposed to be. And, uh, you know, it was a couple of years after grad school, I was, I was running um, programming in a spa, actually, and, and wellness center. And I saw this opportunity to become a nursing home administrator in training. And I applied for it. And for some reason, they hired me. I had no real experience in any of this. And, and I became a nursing home administrator. This was back in, in, the, uh, in the 90s. And, you know, I really saw... One of the things that I did um, when I first started, I, so I, my master's degree was in hospitality administration, and I thought, well, how can I, how can I provide good service when I don't know what it's like to be a customer? And and so I, I had the staff admit me as a resident in this nursing home where I was working, and it was such an eye opener. Um, you know, I, I saw. Um, just how, how hard it can be to live in a place like that. You know, I was woken and this was a really, really high quality place, but I was woken up every couple of hours for people taking my vital signs. And, you know, I had somebody come in in the morning and say, well, it's five 30, you got to have to get up and you get dressed and you sit out in the hallway and you, you wait for breakfast. And then after breakfast, you sit around and you wait for the next thing. And, you know, it was after 24 hours, I, was depressed. I went home and I cried. And I re what here, here was my big takeaway that the problems that were happening in that community and the way that it felt to be a resident there wasn't because the staff were doing something wrong. They were doing everything exactly the way that the administrator, me, had set things up to work. And so I realized from that that it was my, if, if things were going to change, it was, it was the responsibility of leadership to drive that change. And so I worked on that and tried all these things all these years with, with mixed success. And it was about 10 years ago, I was introduced to the, the, the not-for-profit that I now lead, which is, which is pretty neat, but it's called the Eden Alternative. And I went to this class and I learned that there were places that were doing things differently, you know, where they weren't waking people up at 530 in the morning and people had control over their own lives. And, you know, they, there were real relationships happening and kids, when they would come in, weren't terrified. They wanted to be there. Um, and, and there's just life in these places. And so I started working on driving that change. And as I was doing all that and this, I ended up working in a retirement community where there was independent living and assisted living and nursing home. I realized that it wasn't just nursing homes that had to change is the whole system because, you know, all of these different levels of living really, I, I don't think bring out the best in the people that live there or work there. And so I really just started, I had all these huge, that's why my book is called, you know, a mind shift is because I had all these mind shifts uh, and all the, I realized all these things that I should have been doing differently. And we started driving all this amazing change. And I just, I kept thinking, I need to write a book. I want more people to, to challenge themselves and to think differently. Um, and so that's really where it came from is I, I had all these stories from this community, all the changes that happened, all the cool things that can really um, change when you shift the way you think about older people, your own aging process, and what services and support should look like for people who need care.
I, I, I'm, you know, I was taking notes as you were, as you were talking and I'm like, uh, you know, first of all, going back to when I was a kid and the whole nursing home idea, um, my grandfather, uh, great grandfather was in a nursing home for a very short period of time. And it is, it's not only depressing, depressing for those that are visiting, but what if you were in it all the time? My gosh. I mean, wow. Right. So, so let's take that aspect of it. And now let's bring it. I mean, certainly it has come a long way. I, I see places that are like Apple Ridge in, you know, horse heads that are that sort of transition, you know, living where it's completely independent to um, some assistance to um, needing more custodial type care. Uh, and more and more of those are popping up and it's getting people comfortable with it too. And I think there's a lot of false, you know, information out there about the idea of assisted living versus custodial care living. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right. I mean, there are, and I do not mean to say, I mean, there are a lot of really great communities and, and there's a lot of change that's happening. I just think we need to change even more and push it. Further. Oh, 100% agree with that. I, the number compared to, um, you know, shouldn't all of the places look like an Apple Ridge to a certain extent? I, I, I mean, you know, I, I ask people all the time what they envision um, retirement or their, you know, their final 20 to 30 years of life looking like. Do they want to be in their home? Do they not want to be in their home? And I'm not saying live independent or not independent. I'm just saying, do you want that responsibility of upkeep and, and or hiring people for the upkeep? Uh, what is fun for you? Because when one spouse passes away, what was a very enjoyable place to be may not be anymore. It's, it's too overwhelming. And then you have the whole social aspect of things. And you better than me would know the statistics behind a surviving spouse being the third wheel, even when they're not, you know, that, that that's how they feel. And then the emotion that comes along with it. So moving that needle is, and, and you know, is enormously important. Um, I always joke, uh, I'm just into that um, X generation, uh, I guess, definition. Uh, my husband is considered a baby boomer and I'm considered in the X generation. And I, qu- I always air quote it and say, we're the forgotten generation because we're so small. That's, I am one of those two. We're the middle, we're the middle child of the yeah, generation. We're, we're, we're small. <laughs> you know, we really, we just, we've kept our heads down. We really haven't, you know, yeah. we haven't, we haven't, we have there hasn't been a lot focused on us at this point in time, but you know, we're we're getting to the AARP eligibility. Yes. Stage, yes. Right? So Yes. I just became eligible this year. I just turned fifty. So, and and yeah. you start to think about things like what I was just saying, right? And your parents are going through it or your grandparents are going through it. And and so there's a lot I, I agree with you hundred percent. We need to move that needle forward. And the question is, how do we do that? And there's this perception. um, I know at least with a lot of the baby boomer generation, in my experience, um, the older baby boomer generation, like, you know, I want to be in my home until the day I, I pass, which is idealistic. However, not always realistic, but I think it's the fear of what they've seen that wants the, the case in there. Yeah. 
And that's, you just hit, you just hit the nail on the head is, you know, when you look at um, research, the vast majority of baby boomers say, I'm going to stay in my home until the day I die, just like you said. And, and what, so because they're afraid of going and living in a place, right, where you lose your identity, where somebody else is in control of things, where you are in an institutionalized, I, I think that's the main thing. You're afraid of giving up your independence. And, and what's really challenging is that some people can live really well in their home. I mean, some people do great, but a lot of people live in homes that are not designed to support them, like as their mobility needs change. They live in neighborhoods where all of a sudden all their neighbors and friends have moved away. Um, you can't get out and drive anymore at night or you're you're it's icy out today. So I can't go out and go get together with my friends and you start to get isolated. And that's where there is such huge danger with isolation. Um, it's, you know, as deadly as smoking um, and and obesity. And but but that's how a lot of people, they end up setting themselves up for isolation. And then, you know, all the health problems start and that it really starts people circling the drain. And, you know, and, and I've seen that this, this is where my passion comes from too, is I've seen so many people when I was running communities that would come in um, and they're okay. Now I'm finally ready to move in. Right. And if you look at like a continuing care retirement community, um, you've got a health assessment and a financial assessment because it's kind of like a, a, a life insurance plan or an insurance plan where if you run out of money later, the organization, you get to continue to live there. So we would have to say to people, you know what, you waited too long because now you've got all these health issues and now you can't come live here. Um, or they wait too long and then their health declines. And, and by the time they move in, they need assisted living and they miss, people miss out on the opportunity for an amazing life by moving into one of these communities. I mean, there, I really would, I would go move into one of these places because, and, and here's the thing is people want to, they look at so often, well, that place looks pretty. Um, ooh, look at the pretty chandelier. It looks like a hotel, but it's more than that. It's finding a place where people are encouraged to continue growing and learning, right? You can teach old dogs new tricks. There's all kinds of research that backs that up. Where you continue to have purpose, because purpose is another thing that research shows is critical to well-being. You don't want to just go to a place where they say, we'll do everything for you. You want to go to a place where people say, hey, what do you want to bring to this community? You know, what gifts do you have? What passions do you have? Do you want to teach? Do you want to volunteer? What does that all look like? Um, and where people really belong and people are welcomed and part of something. Well, and I think you just nailed that when you said, what part do you want to participate in? And, and what I mean by that is uh, somebody asked me, you know, when would I like to retire? And I said, oh, you know, I hope I never retire. Like, I'm not saying that I want to work this hard, but I love what I do so much that I hope that these gifts go on for, you know, ever. I mean, wouldn't it be great if I could 
And, and again, sort of backing up just a little bit to kind of give you some idea. <laughs> this is a conversation my husband and I have with each other. And I've said, God, if something happens to you first, you know, understand that this house, two, two houses is too much. And this house in Jasper that we have in New York is five acres of mowing and a pond that has to be maintained. And although I love spending time with you here, it's not something I'm going to continue to keep. But I would love to live in a neighborhood or a um, community where I can engage and have uh, wine events or cheese events and, you know, maybe even teach people about money and, you know, continue to be active in the community by volunteering and by giving knowledge in different ways that maybe I wasn't able to give when I was you know, hands down in the mud running a business, right? Right. right. Where he, on the other hand, has no interest in being involved in anything like that. (laughs) (laughs) So, so if something happens to me first, then, you know, he will want to stay in that home for as long as he possibly can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he will hire work to be done that needs to be done that he can't do anymore. But the planning that goes beyond, you know, around those two very different desires. Yes. It's challenging within our household because who's going to go first? Right. Right. (laughs) completely different plans. So we kind of have to go, well, which one would be more expensive and let's plan for that. And the fact that you brought up the, the idea of how do you want to be involved in the community? I read a statistic not too long ago that said, if people remain active, if they remain involved, they volunteer, they have some sense of routine, that their chances of advancing dementia are 60% less yes. than people that are inactive. That's a really big number. <laughs> it, it is a really big number. And, and, and you know what's really interesting is people who are living with dementia need to have purpose and can give back and can continue to learn and grow. So, you know, I think a lot of times people think, oh, it's only people, you know, it's only people who are able to get themselves up in the morning and do everything. And, you know, the the person who's out walking every day, but we all need purpose, no matter what challenges we're living with. Um, Yeah. And we, we do, we live better. We age better when we have a role to play. So when you decided to write this book, because I'm, I mean, you and I could go back and forth on this particular, I'm so excited, you know, about this topic because in the clients that I work with, a lot of them are the X generation. I look like them. I act like them. I have situations like them. So they tend to come to me, but they're dealing with aging parents in a lot of cases. Um, and so, you know, they're asking questions like, how do I help my mom and dad? How do I have this Um, conversation with them. They're very open about what their wishes are so that they don't have to, to do this later. You know, like they don't want their kids to be going through the same thing they're going through at this point in time. Um, So I'm talking to a lot of people with these similar circumstances and I'm living it. Like you said, at the same time, my parents are aging, (laughs) you know, and, and, and I'm trying to have conversations with them just like, my clients are trying to have conversations with them. So 
you know, when I read, again, just reading, um, I wasn't able to get all the way through the book, but I was reading a lot of excerpts from the book. And um, when I read, when I read something, it, I'm trying to think of the quote, basically, it's taking, taking that mod, that hospitality model, you mentioned that you were in hospitality, taking that model and saying, well, why don't we apply it to our next stage of life? Because, you know, you, why shouldn't we live like that when we age? Why shouldn't things be easier? I, I mean, just, you know, why, 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 why? So there's a lot of good questions that I picked up out of there. And I loved that you, I loved you that you were the, use the word disrupting. That to me is a really strong, not overly used word yet. And so that's what really drew my attention to it was that disruption factor. And that I think you said you have to dig deeper and create communities that promote like potential and value of people who live in these things, right? That's what you were saying earlier about things. Yeah. So you sat down one day and you said, I think I'll write a book. <laughs> yes. Well, yes, I guess that's how it went. <laughs> Actually, I said that to myself for a long time. I kept saying, I should do this. I should write a book. And it was always one of those things. Someday I'm going to write a book. And what I did is there's this, um, there's this cool thing every year. So I don't know if you have any listeners that have been pondering writing a book, but Every year in November, it's called NaNoWriMo, and it's National Novel Writing Month. And you commit, and I wasn't writing a novel, but you commit to putting 50,000 words on paper during the month of November. And so I did that, and I just did this brain dump of stories, and I put it all in this big, huge document. And that's really where a lot of things came from. And, I, and, and you know, that's one of the things with with doing this, with writing a book, like I laugh when you say, I just decided I was going to write a book. Um, it was horribly difficult. And, um, you know, a big part of it is, is fighting with yourself and that whole like imposter syndrome of, and this little voice saying, who are you to think you can do this? And, um, so, so freeing yourself up, like I had to free myself up to put a bunch of junk on a page in order to move ahead. Um, and I actually, you know, at, 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 I'm, I hope it's okay to say a little swear word on here, but there's a, there's a quote from Ernest Hemingway that the first draft of anything is shit. And so I, that was my working title of my book was shitty first draft. And, and you know, that's how I was able to coax myself into doing it because it's kind of scary Especially when you're just, you're, pu I'm pushing, this book pushes back against what the majority of senior living companies are doing right now, which is hotel based resort style living. And so it was scary. So I'm sorry, I'm still laughing at the first draft. <laughs> I, it's a great, it is a great tool to free yourself up to just be like, this is going to be crap and I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, well, so it didn't turn into crap because it's actually. <laughs> <laughs> and there were a lot of versions of it and editing. Let's just say that. <laughs> it's actually a great book. And I would encourage people that are 
you know, thinking about this for themselves, that are thinking about it for their parents, that, you know, want to have that conversation with their parents. I do think when you were talking about, you know, certainly the earlier we start having these conversations, the better. And I do think that when people get to a certain spot, like you said, now they're beyond the, you know, independent and assisted living and their choice is either full custodial care or um, bringing somebody into the home at that point in time. Well, and here's something I would just recommend. And and with my own parents, um, when they were living at home and then they, you know, we started thinking and talking that maybe um, life would be better in a community setting is, and, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners hear this from folks too. I'm not ready yet. Okay. And here is what, I know this, I have lived it, and I told my parents this. If you wait until you are ready, it is too late, okay? Because that when you are finally ready, it means there's a health crisis or there's a, a, a some sort of huge issue that happens, and then you're making decisions, not good decisions, in the midst of a crisis, right? You end up in the hospital. The discharge plan at the hospital says, or, or you end up, you know, in a nursing home for rehab. They say, you know what? You've got, you've got a few days um, to figure out what's next. And, and you're, I see families scrambling, scrambling. So I always recommend, you know what? Start looking. Figure out what's important to you. Look at options. Do your financial planning before you are ready, because that is when people end up in a much better situation. And it doesn't mean they have to make the decision now. It doesn't mean they have to relocate now. It just means let's have a plan in place for if this happens, this is the outcome. Like this is the plan. Yeah. And great places have a waiting list. You know, the really great places you can't get in right away. And sometimes it's a couple of years to move in. So it's critical. And and when you say like a big piece of it is that, um, it, it's finding a place where you, where you can actually um, come together and continue to do the things that you love without, without the distractions. I mean, so I guess what I'm getting at is, let's say there's six facilities available to you. And when I say facilities, I don't mean you know, the traditional nursing home. I mean, communities. A community. A yeah, community. Yeah. Campuses. Um, if one offers three out of five things that you absolutely love and another one offers one out of five things, well, that was an easy decision. Like you just crossed one off the list because the one out of five things, no, I'm not even interested. And then you find one that has four out of five things. Oh, that just moved that up the list a little bit. What's interesting to me is that if you often mention what would sway you one way or another, those communities that only had three out of five might say, oh, that's so easy for us to implement. You know, now they have now they have four out of five as well. And it's if it's closer to your kids, which makes it you know, and it, you know, all those things like that's the piece that if you have that time to go out and explore that you can really dig into that match that you were talking about earlier, right? That, that integral, I will fit here. It won't take me like, I don't, I'm a, I call myself a reformed introvert because doing podcasts, I have the, um, 
it's great for me because I have the ability to just be behind my computer and (laughs) sitting in my chair or standing at my desk. And I've not been out in a crowd and I've had this great conversation with people, but the opposite side to doing these podcasts is it's actually made me more comfortable talking to people that I don't know because I often talking to people I don't know in these podcasts. So things like that, where I can take something I'm comfortable with and stretch my comfort level into another area, those are the type of communities that I think make people feel comfortable. Yes. So at, so at the, the last community that I was leading before I, I took this job with the Eden Alternative, the residents there started a college um, and where they taught classes, they attended classes and family members would teach classes and the University of Denver students would come to classes and the whole, and if you go back there today, people will say, what am I going to learn? How am I going to challenge myself? And it's just what the culture is. It's that culture of growth and learning. And it's not, Hey, let's hire somebody to come in. It's, we all have, they, uh, there's so many resources in these communities and so much expertise and so, again, if you think about growing and purpose, the per- person who's teaching, like if you were to teach podcasting or, you know, financial uh, wellness and things like that, you're getting purpose out of it. Other people are learning or growing. And then you're going to a class with something that you have no idea um, anything about and you're challenging yourself in that way. So it's just a really that was a really cool thing that came from the residents being in charge of the community. And I think if we can morph more in that direction, right, that's the kind of thing that's going to continue to grow. Yes. And become a commonplace instead of a unique place. Right. Right. And so now, so you've, that was the last community that you're at. You've moved, you're, you've, you've planted a new kind of grape in your vineyard. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> It sounds like it's thriving. It sounds like it's becoming uh, its very own uh, community in and of itself. What what do you want to do with this? Like, where do you want to take this? And and where do you see the challenges in, in what you're doing in this next phase of your vineyard? Well, so the the organization that I lead, the Eden Alternative, um, we're it, here's what's really fascinating is is we're an international organization. So last year we were in 19 countries. Okay. And which is fabulous until you think, wow, 19 countries need the Eden alternative to undo the institutional model of care. Right. That's where I got all excited. And then I'm like, Oh, but wait a minute. Um, and he, the, where I see the, the root of everything, the root, uh, the root reason that, we have institutional settings. The reason we um, go automatically to um, hospitality and turning older people into consumers is because of ageism. And it's the way we think about our own aging process and the way we think about other, about people who are older than us, people who are living with different abilities. So my big thing and it, with my organization and, and um and with my work that I'm doing with my book is to to really start to make more of an impact um, with with ageism. And that starts with with everybody at every age. Um, you know, I mean, even toddlers are ageist because of the what they see in Disney movies and the 
awful games and all of the things that they see and hear. And, and what's really neat is there is a big movement going on right now um, to fight ageism. And so there are age, and I don't like the term, age-friendly. I think it should be age-inclusive or age-celebrating, whatever it is, age, age-friendly communities. There are dementia-friendly communities where people who are living with dementia can continue to participate in life. And so I want to continue doing this work with changing senior living organizations, but I think the work, the real work is even bigger than that um, with, you know, helping people like just talking with you and some of the people that um, are listening to your podcast is, is challenging people to uh, step back and really um, question what society has told them about aging, about, you know, anti-wrinkle creams and cover your gray and all of this stuff. When we know if you think bad things about aging, it's much more likely that your aging experience will be negative. So the more we can start to shift and have people embrace, we're all getting older, whether we want to or not, we might as well embrace it. Um, I think that's where we can really start to have a, a much greater impact. I'm, I'm sitting, I'm listening to what you're saying. And a thought came to my mind about, um, it's something I said about my grandmother years ago before she passed away. I said, you know, it's, I can't, I don't want to age my life quickly, but I'm kind of excited about some of the things that you can get away with doing and saying when you get to be a certain age. It's like my grandmother could, you know, she was a feisty woman anyways. And um, she got to the point in her life where she needed, when she was in places like Walmart or Wegmans or, you know, any place like that, where she, she was slow getting around. So she would use one of those little buggy carts and yeah. she, you know, she would drive those things like they were, uh, you know, one of the race cars in the like Indy 500 or something. And I'm like, yeah, watch out. And she's like, yeah, I just remember her saying to me, they'll get out of my way. <laughs> I just, yeah. like, that level of innocence or sarcasm or whatever you want to call it is exciting to be able to get back to because, in some respects, um, you know, you see that with kids, like that level of innocence of what, like, aren't I, aren't I the center? Like, doesn't the world revolve around me? And then you get to this age where my grandma was like, what are they going to do to me now? You know, she just, she, she loved people and she was funny and she was feisty and she could get away with it. And to me, that's like, I kind of want to be there. I just, I don't want to rush it. But at the same time, I'm not looking, I'm not looking at it as a negative thing. I'm looking at it as a, this is going to be, this, this part's going to be fun. You know, I don't want my body to feel old or my mind to feel old, but that, that ability to sort of say what I think and have people say, Oh, isn't she just feisty and precious? And, <laughs> oh, I don't want anybody to call me precious. Okay. <laughs> I'm fine. But you know, there the, people do like there you always think, oh, grumpy old people, but there's have you ever heard of the happiness curve? No. So so these researchers study people of all different ages on their self-reported well-being. And younger people, so if you think about a graph, right? 
with level of happiness and on one axis and then age on the other one. So when you're younger, you know, you're in your teens, you're pretty happy and it drops down, drops down, drops down. The pit is at 50 ish, by the way. And then gradually you start to experience more and more well-being. and people in their eighties, nineties, I think even up to a hundred, um, are happier and experience more well-being than younger wow. people. And it might be those things that you're talking about, right? Like I am who I am. Um, you know what's important in life. You don't let the little mm-hmm. things bother mm-hmm. you. Um, but those are the things like we should all yeah. know about. Yeah. But I think I think you know? that we're all so worried about what people are around us are thinking or saying or if, yeah. that, that we do let that cloud us. And then when you get to that point in time, you're like, yeah. I'm 80 years old. I really don't give a care about what you think. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm in I'm in this. Uh, there are these Facebook groups. So I decided to stop dyeing my hair this year. Um, and, and let my silver come through. And there are actually, I'm in like multiple Facebook groups of women, like thousands of women who are part of these groups because of all of the negative stuff they hear from other people. And then these other women are like, you got this girl. And, um, but it's part of, I think just owning, and it's not for everyone. Right. But for these people who are doing that, and for me, it's like owning your age and being, being good with it. And move, move yeah, forward. well, I, I have highlighted my hair, but not because of the grain, just because of texturing. And I, mm-hmm. if I'm not, I'm never going to be one of those women that, you know, totally dyes my hair or anything like that. If it starts to go gray, that's my highlights. I wish I hadn't started years ago because now I have this white skunk line. <laughs> so I, um, I just, I guess the things that I love the fact that you're saying, you know, we need to start just changing the image of what aging is about and embracing the fact that we can have fun. I mean, gosh, the whole world opens up when we get to a certain point in time, in my opinion, that um, we sort of get to revert back a little bit. And I know a lot of the friends that we have that have have retired, uh, many of them work part-time, not because they have to, but because they just want to. And, and I ask people quite often, like, what's your definition of retirement? You know, I, I don't want to ever presume that it it matches my definition, but do you want to actually just be done with work? Do you want to volunteer? Do you want to sit on the couch? Do you want to sit on the front porch? And so many people are saying, well, I, I don't really want to stop working. I don't necessarily want to be in the job I'm in right now. Um, I want to be, I want my life to have meaning. I want to be able to do more volunteer work. So that's one of the things I hear that time and time and time again, I want to work on what I'm passionate about. It might mean that I make a little money. It might mean that I make no money, but I want to work on things that I'm passionate about. And that's what I just want to sort of circle back around and say about your book is that you talk a lot about finding the community that does that kind of bring that kind of passion to the table. Um, and so uh, I would love to continue this conversation, I think for hours, honestly, but I want to be mindful of your time as well. Um, Jill, and I just want to say thank you so much for, for sharing your journey. And I would love to know if there are any final tips that you have having worked in in different communities that you would offer up to ask people, have people ask when they're looking for their next vineyard, if you want to call it that, their next journey in life? 
Well, I, I would, I would encourage people to look beyond the amenities, look beyond the chandeliers, look beyond, you know, the dining room and the restaurant and ask questions about the culture. And, and that might make some, if you're touring in a community, you know, if, you'll know if you're in the right place or not, because if you're in the right place, they're going to be able to say, here's what we're about. Here's what life is like for the, you know, people that, well, ideally you should be talking to, to the people that live there, right? They should be part of, of helping you understand what it's like to live there. But if people, if there's like a blank look, then that community probably doesn't, hasn't spent a lot of time on this. So I would ask questions like that is, you know, how, how do people get involved here? Um, how are people um, included when, if, if you end up living with dementia, if you end up living with mobility challenges is what is this community like for people then? Because what can happen when it's not addressed is there can be, because people are afraid, right? Ageism is prejudice against our feared future self, but people can kind of be ostracized when, when they're living with dementia or things like that, or they're completely segregated from everyone else. So I would ask questions like that. Um, you know, what are the opportunities for continued growth and, and purpose and giving back and, and really look for those um, signs that it's really happening and talk to the people that live there. That is critical. Great tip. Yeah, great tip. And for um, listeners that are interested in Jill's book, we actually have one I have my own copy. I bought an extra one that we are going to be giving away. If anybody wants this book, all you have to do is email us at info at rootedpg.com and we will gladly send you a free copy of her book. And if you're, if you email us beyond that, you can go out on Amazon and you can order the book from Amazon. As I mentioned before, I love the title. I love the concept of disrupting anything. <laughs> I'm a big disruptor in and of itself. And so Joe, we want to say thank you so much for being on the show today, for taking time out of your busy schedule, for writing the book and sharing your wonderful fruit with us and your experiences over the years. And um, we hope that you have a great 2020 with all the work that you're doing. And I suspect I may ask you to come back on because there's so many more questions I'd I love to ask you. I would you. love that, Amy. Thank you. <laughs> and again, if listeners would like to order her book, um, please go on Amazon. We'll have a link in our show notes. And um, we hope you have a great year. And that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dime. You can contact Amy through the website, www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at rootedpg for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time.